you know, it's vital for a team to be united on its mission, because if it's not united, if everybody's not on the same page, then the mission is not going to be a success. It is vital, for example, that a team all runs in the right direction when they get the ball. So take a look at the screen. So it's hard to figure out at some point, like, what team you're actually playing for. Uh, and many of us are in a workplace that has a mission that, that you're going after. Many of our, our workplaces, we, we are making a product that we sell, or we're providing a service. And so you're hopefully united behind that mission. Everybody's working towards the same goal. Maybe you're not in a traditional workplace. Maybe you volunteer in one of your kids' classes at school. Maybe you coach one of your kids' sports teams. It, it, it's important for a team to all be running in the same direction or they're not going to be successful. The church, the Christian church, is a team of sorts for the last 2,000 years. And the church is made up of people with different gifts and different passions. And sometimes those different passions pull us in different directions. And so if you took a sampling of churches around the country, you might look at one and you might see that their purpose, their mission as a church is to uh, pursue politics. For example, we talked about that a little bit last Sunday. You might look at another church, and their purpose seems to be social justice. So they're fighting for the rights of underprivileged people. Then you might pick a church over here, and they are really focused on helping people work through their life issues with, with counseling and, and support. And all of those things are good, and, and all of them have a place. But none of them is central to the mission of the church. And, and what we find is that when a church gets off mission, that's where we, we start to fight with each other instead of fighting the spiritual enemy that we actually should be united in fighting against. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is what Jesus identifies as the core mission of the church. And it's important for us to remember this and be reminded of this once in a while because any team as large as a church needs to be recalibrated once in a while around what is central. So we're going to look at that this morning. If you would take a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1, that's where, where we're going to be. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one on the seat close to you, and Acts chapter 1 is on page 1006, or you can look it up on your phone and follow along. We're in a series, as Steve said, called God's Grand Story, and we're, we're looking at key events in the life of Jesus and what those mean for Jesus' followers. And so, so far, we have looked at Jesus' temptation. His, his, he was put on trial, in a sense, and he needed to pass the test if he was going to be able to fulfill his mission in the world, and, and thankfully, he, he did. And then, uh, following that, we looked at uh, Jesus as a friend of sinners, that Jesus did not come for people who think they're well, but for people who actually are sick with the problem of sin. 
and he came to, to heal that. Last week, we looked at the triumphal entry, and we saw this clash between human preferences and God's purpose, and that we need to submit ourselves to, to God's purpose. Today, we're going to look at how the message of Jesus spread from this tiny, obscure Middle Eastern country to encompass the world and have the most followers of, of any belief system in, in the world. So we're going to be in the book of Acts, just a, a little snapshot of the book of Acts. Acts is volume two, written by a man named Luke. So Acts actually gets its own scroll up here as we look across the, the tapestry of the New Testament. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. That was volume one, which covered Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension. And then Acts is volume two. It's what happens next and carrying on the work of, of Jesus. And we don't have time for this this morning, but if, if you have time, look at the very end of the book of Luke, the last few paragraphs of the book of Luke, and then the first few paragraphs that we're going to look at this morning in the book of Acts. And there's this really nice overlap and this interesting continuity from one book to the next that just ties them both together. So we're going to be in Acts 1, starting in verse 1 this morning. In the first book, so that's, that's the book of Luke, that's the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, so Theophilus is apparently the patron who funded Luke writing down these, these books. And so he is writing this directly to this person, but we all get the advantage of being able to, to have it preserved for us. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So I want to point out the, the mission that Jesus highlights here, and then we will unpack it. So it appears in, in verse 8, this last verse that we read. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. Okay, let's try that again. You will be my what? Witnesses. Okay, that's better. So witnesses is the theme. Being a witness is the theme of the book of Acts. It appears 39 times. That word appears 39 times in the book of Acts. It's, this, it's the central idea. And the Greek word carries two senses to it. The first sense is a legal sense. Think, think of a courtroom and being a witness in a courtroom to facts. That, that's the first sense. The second sense is more of a religious sense. So think convictions. It, it means being a witness to truth with a capital T. So what have you become convinced of 
that you are sharing with others. And Luke takes these two senses of that word and he marries them together throughout the, the book of Acts. So there's this legal sense, there's this factual sense, and there's also this conviction heart sense to the word. The actual Greek word is martus, from which we get our word martyr. And so you kind of see that tied together in that word. It's a conviction that is deep enough that many people give their actual lives for what they believe. And so our, our mission as a church is to witness. This is why the, the church has survived for 2,000 years, because Jesus was crystal clear about what our mission is to be. And he trained his disciples to to carry that out. It's also worth mentioning that Jesus tells us what we are not to be focused on. Did did you catch that Um, in verse 6? It says, when they had come together, his, his followers asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the triumphal entry. We talked about that, that whole event where all of these people are waiting. They're anxious. They're, they want Jesus to be the king. They want him to bring the kingdom. And clearly, Jesus was not ready at that time to bring the kingdom the way they wanted it because it, as the week played out, he was crucified, buried, but then was, was resurrected. And so... So at that point, that wasn't the time for him to bring the kingdom. But see, this is still on their minds because they're like, okay, now all of that's behind us. So, okay, Lord, is it now? Will you at this time restore the, okay, is it happening now? And and watch what Jesus says in verse 7. says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's a lot of people in Jesus' day a lot of people still today, they're preoccupied with trying to figure out, you know, when, when is Jesus coming? And Jesus says, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Stop worrying about tomorrow when I have work for you to do today. That's the important thing. Do the work that I've given you today. Our mission is to witness. So there are three questions that Luke answers for us to, to flesh out this whole idea of what being a witness looks like. He tells us what we're to be a witness to, how we're to witness, and then where we're to witness. So first he talks about what we are to be witnesses of, and the short answer to that is we are to be witnesses of what Jesus did. So we see that in the first few verses here. Back in verse 1, he says, I've dealt with, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So all of that was just a beginning. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, all of that was just a beginning to, and a prelude to now what comes. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus charged his followers with being witnesses and giving testimony to what he had done. The most important of which was his resurrection, the fact that he is alive. That is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion has a leader who lived, taught things, died. They're still dead. Jesus alone 
came back to life, and we have, we have followers who witnessed to that fact. So Jesus told his disciples, I want you to be witnesses of that. The, the gospels that we have are written witnesses, history, historical witnesses of the fact that these, these events did happen. So sometimes people look back and they think, well, it was all just made up. But historians who, who study this, when they compare ancient histories, we, we have greater evidence of the actual truth of, of what Jesus did than any other ancient event or empire. It, it's bar none. I mean, the, it's not even close. And so when you look at the historical evidence, so Jesus said, um, preserve this through your writing and, and through your lives. So I love this quote from, from Charles Coulson. Some of you are familiar with him. He was special advisor to President Nixon uh, during the Watergate scandal. And he actually, he was um, put in jail because of all the scandal around Watergate came to faith in jail. And he, he said this, he said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So there's historical evidence as we look at, at the lives of his apostles. That's one evidence. And there's, there's a lot more uh, if you want to delve into that in, in a book called The Case for Christ. There's lots of books on this as well. But The Case for Christ is great because it, it was written by a journalist who, for the Chicago Tribune. So he was no slough. And he set out actually to prove that the resurrection was false but became convinced that it was actually true when he looked through all the history. Great, great book with evidence there. And we are to be witnesses of this historical evidence. So that's, that's the side of the word martus, witness, that is the legal side, the courtroom side, the fact side. There's also a witness that we give that's the personal side. It's the, the religious side, if you will, the, con, the conviction side. It's the side that says, uh, not only do I believe that this was a historical effect, but I've encountered Jesus myself. And I can tell you how he has been involved in my life, guiding me, comforting me personally, correcting me at times, which is not the, not the pleasant part, but it's a necessary part. And so when we bring that witness to, to someone else, we, we are bringing our personal convictions. And this is what I've come to believe because of how Christ has been at work in my life. Both of those are important because everybody has a story about things that they believe. And if it's all about just what I have experienced myself, I mean, we can find other people who have experienced other things that don't line up with the historical Christian faith. So it's, but but if all we did was focus on the facts and the legal end of things, that's kind of stale by itself and, and not terribly appealing. And so Luke brings those two together and says, our mission is to be a witness of what we believe from history and what Jesus is doing in my life today. 
So he tells us what to be a witness of. Think, think about it this way. Think about if you had a friend who was falsely accused of something and you were called into the courtroom to testify on their behalf, to be a character witness for them. In a sense, that's what we get to do for Jesus because Jesus has been attacked from the day he set foot on the planet. And so we get a chance to be a witness on his behalf. If you had a friend who was falsely accused, you would want to do everything you can do to make sure they get exonerated, to make sure they get set free. And in a sense, we're we're testifying, we're witnessing for Jesus in a similar way. So Luke tells us what we are to be witnesses of. Then he tells us how. How are we to witness with the help of the Holy Spirit? Verse 4. While staying with his followers, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When he talks about the promise of the Father, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit coming to live inside of us. And, And it's interesting, he says to them, to wait. He says, I want you to don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Wait. Don't go try to carry out this mission on your own. See, sometimes we, we want to jump into things fast. When we sense God's nudging us into something, we want to just go get on it. And Jesus says, wait, you, you can't do this by yourself. You need God's presence living in you. And there was a transition happening. Jesus had just been living with them for three years, which would have been incredible. I can't, I can't imagine having Jesus in the flesh to be walking with for, for three years and to experience what it's like to, to be around someone who is so wise, loving, gracious. And so they, they've gotten the chance to be around him for three years. Now he's leaving them physically. But now what's happening is the Holy Spirit is coming to live in each person personally. So in a sense, we get to get even closer to God because Jesus in the flesh was only in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit can be with all of us and in all of us all at the same moment. And so that's an incredible promise. And Jesus says that is that presence of the Spirit is something you need to be able to carry out this mission. You need his presence. You need his, his power. And so... For, for us, so, so Jesus was sending the Spirit for his followers then, and for us, the, the, the rest of the New Testament tells us, when, when you and I come to a place in our lives where we recognize that we have a sin problem, that we have fallen short of the standard of a holy God, and, that, and, and, and sometimes we recognize that we've fallen short and then we try to fix it. And so, and we try to do more good stuff to try to outweigh the bad stuff, or we try to make God happy with us by doing something. When, when we come to the end of ourselves and stop trying to fix our sin problem ourselves and say, Jesus, I just need you. I just need you to wash me and cleanse me. When we say that, then the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes us. The, the word baptized means you're, you're immersed. So we get immersed in the Spirit. We, we get the Spirit coming and living inside of us. It's what we picture when we do water baptism. We do baptism by immersion because we want to be soaked and, and immersed in, in that water. It's what we do in water baptism is a picture of what God is doing in our lives with the Holy Spirit. And he says you need the Holy Spirit to be able to carry out this mission. Don't, don't go do it on your own. We should not underestimate the significance 
of, of what it means that God comes to live in us through the Holy Spirit. This, this phrase that, that Luke uses in verse 8, when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He uses that same phrase one other place at the beginning of the book of Luke. When the angel is talking to Mary to tell Mary what's going to happen to her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the angel told Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and Jesus will be birthed in you and through you. And so Luke tells us later now in Acts chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Christ is born in us today. So don't underestimate the significance of that. What an incredible gift God gives us in the Holy Spirit in his presence with us. So Luke tells us what we are to witness, how we are to witness, and then he tells us where we are to witness. And the answer to that is here, near, and far. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, what? Witnesses. Okay, good, you're still awake. My witnesses in Jerusalem. Here's where we're to be witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's these expanding circles that he's describing that start right where they are. They are right now in the city of Jerusalem, and he says it's going to expand from there into the surrounding region. And then go to a cross-cultural area with people who are your enemies in Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. This verse is what led us to our vision statement that we, our new vision statement in the last couple of years here, which is to build bridges for life change through Christ. And so we've, we've been talking now for a couple of years about how do we build bridges in each of these spheres of influence. And last year, we, we took a year to say, okay, let, let's pray about and discern where, where does God, how does God want us to build bridges to the ends of the earth over the, in the next season that we are in? We had a focus process um, praying about that. And what came out of that was we, we feel that God is leading us to minister in the country of Lebanon. And so as you've been listening to us talk about that, I, I know there's probably different mixed feelings about that. And that's a volatile part of the world. It's so far away. Don't speak the language. And we may sit and wonder, like, what can I do? What could I do in Lebanon? How could I make a contribution there? And so to, to paint a picture of that for you, I want to just share a story from one of the ladies who went to Lebanon two years ago when we had a group of four ladies go and do ministry there in Lebanon to Syrian refugees. And so there were a number of things that they, they got to do, but, but the one that really stuck out to me was one day when they went to the refugee camp there in Lebanon, and they said you could just look across this, this valley, and there were just uh, tents across the valley and just thousands of people, thousands of displaced people who are living in these tents. And, and these people are people like you and me, like, like middle-class people who just, you know, a few months ago had a stable job and had an education, were raising their family, were doing life uh, kind of as normal. 
And then all stuff started breaking loose in Syria. And suddenly they are having to run literally for their lives because of the war that's going on. And so they run to the nearest place across the border to Lebanon. And where they find themselves is, is in a country that doesn't want them. Because they're, Lebanon's like, I, we're not sure what to do with all of these people. So they, they are not wanted in Lebanon. They, they know they can't go back to Syria because of everything that's going on there. Not sure where else they can go in the world. So here they sit, hopeless and despondent, um, ill in, in many cases, just all kinds of stuff going on. And so this one day, our, our team of, of ladies went and fanned out into this, uh, this refugee camp. And, and one of the ladies told the story of how she went into a tent uh, with a group of, of other ladies and they did a, a Bible study in this tent. They had 60 ladies, 60 Syrian ladies that, that came in here. And so at this point you may be thinking, well, I can't do a Bible study. So maybe that's not your, your giftedness, but they, they did a Bible study together. And at the end of it, here's, here's what I want you to hold on for. At the end of it, they handed out bags that they had prepared for, for these people of just just personal products, just things that they might need. I mean, just basics, toothpaste, um, you know, bottles of of water, uh, vitamins, things that, by the way, you guys donated um, as as a church. And so they put these bags together and they handed these bags to these ladies as they left and just said, we we know this is a small thing, but we just want you to know that Jesus is, Jesus loves you. We want you to receive the, the love of Jesus through this. And they told them, if you want to pray, if there's something, if you would like to pray with someone, we're available to pray with you. And so out of those 60 ladies, 20 of them came, came back and wanted to pray. And they had the opportunity to talk with them further and just share very personally the love of Jesus with, with them and communicate that, you know, we know your life is falling apart, but we, we want you to know there's someone who loves you. And we came to bring that, that love. That's something that any one of us in this room could do. And so that's an opportunity that we will be looking at. We'll be taking teams to Lebanon uh, later this year. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Maybe, maybe, though, you will say, I can't go to Lebanon for this or, or that reason. We, we are also looking at uh, a regional opportunity that that we can go to that's much closer to, to home here that will be kind of thematically related to what we're doing in Lebanon. And so we're still working through different options for that. And I would ask you to pray for us as we discern what ministry to, to partner with in, in doing that. So if you're not praying on a regular basis, I, I would just encourage you to download, go to our website and our missions page, and there's 21 days of prayer prompts there. I encourage you to download that and pray, pray through that. If you pray through it at once, pray through it again. I'm actually on my third time. Every time I finish my 21 days, I just start it over again and just keep, keep praying. Uh, because we're praying that God will lead us in decisions that we need to make about who we're partnering with. We're also just praying for our hearts, for our hearts to be ready and for the, the hearts of, of people that we're going to, to, to be ready. So we need to saturate that in prayer. If you know already that you are, you're fired up and you're excited about the opportunity to, to minister in Lebanon or, or locally here, then uh, you can email focus at gracepointpa.org. And Denise Nichols, who is our focus team leader, she'll receive those emails. She would love to know if you are excited about going, get you signed up, keep you in the loop as, we, as things progress forward. 
So that is, uh, for, for Luke, that is talking about the ends of the earth and even Samaria and Judea. What about Jerusalem? What about here at home? Well, there's some simple things that we can do as we just go through our daily life to build bridges with the, the people that we interact with every day. And so I had an opportunity this week as I took my car to the shop. Um, I've built a relationship with the, the guy at our, our car service place, uh, maybe a little more than I would like because we, with teenagers in the house, we have four cars and it's kind of like a little fleet. And so keeping them running all the time, there's always, it seems like there's always something to do. So we see more of him than I would maybe like to. But after we, we moved here, um, I, I shared with them just what I do and, and, you know, that I'm a pastor at a church. And I asked him, you know, are you involved at a church anywhere? And he told me, yeah, he said, we're, we're not right now. We used, used to be. And he has teenage kids. He said, that's just something we should do. And he sounded kind of interested, you know, several years back. And so I've, I've pressed him on. He's not come. And so I've, I've, I keep pestering him. I tell him, I'm going to keep pestering you. And this week, I actually thought, I, I just felt nudged to just take it a step further with him. And so we were, we were chatting for a while, and he was telling me about some of the things that, that his sons are involved in. And uh, good, good stuff. And, and they're doing stuff as a family, and sometimes that prevents them actually from being able to be in church on a Sunday. But I just, I thought, I said, hey, I just, I just don't need to plant a seed with you. I just need to plant this thought. And that is, you know, this, this life is, is really short, but eternity is, is long. And we do well to make sure we're investing time now to get ready and be ready for, for eternity. And he said, yeah, you know, he said, you know, you're right. Give, give me one of those, those cards. And so that's, that's why we put those cards there on your seat. I just keep several of those um, in, in my wallet and I'm ready to pull one of those out and hand it to someone and just encourage them. You know, this is something that's important to me. I would love to see it be important to you as well. And some of you may have been building relationships with people to where you're, you're ready to go beyond like inviting them to church, but actually sit and talk with them about what Christ has done for them. So we have a tool to help you with that as well. And these are available out at the, the Welcome Center, but just a little booklet that walks you through the, the problem that we have of sin, how Christ came to solve that problem for us, and then how to, how to receive Christ into our lives. And so these, these booklets are available to hand to someone or even to go through with them. You know, you could bridge into a conversation with someone by saying, you know, we've, we've known each other for a while. You know, maybe as a coworker at work and you eat lunch, we've known each other for a while. Would, would you mind if I shared something with you that's really important to me? And I would even love to hear what you believe about God. And so make it a two-way conversation and a dialogue with the opportunity to be a witness to them because our mission our mission is to, to witness. So, so here's, here's my encouragement, even, even challenge to you. On, on your way out, you can get more of those invite cards out at the Welcome Center. You can pick up these little booklets at the Welcome Centers. I would encourage you to pick up you know, several of these things, maybe pick up some combination, two cards and a booklet or something like that. And just in the month of March, we're, we're here at March 1st, just ask God, God, okay, I'm taking these tools and now I'm going to pray, would you guide me to someone to have a conversation with? I guarantee you he'll, he'll answer that prayer, give you an opportunity to be a witness. Church is about a lot of things. Churches do a lot of things, a lot of good things. But this one is central. And imagine what it would be like 
if all of us were on mission, if all of us as a team were running in the same direction for this purpose, for what Jesus said is most important, if we were, I think we would have the opportunity to hear a lot more stories like, like this one. Take a look at the screen. 